Good afternoon. Um, I'm Libby Purvis. I'm a theatre critic on theatrecat.com and formerly on The Times and occasionally odds and ends at other places. And Roger Allen, well, that's who you've all come to see. In this um, wonderful play, how many people here, let me just ask, how many people have seen it already, have been here? Oh, good, quite, a, quite a few. Um, well, believe me, if you haven't, you must. Um, it's... Uh, it amazed critics in 1913, uh, largely by being written by a woman. And uh, one newspaper said, you might suspect her of eating chocolates or talking nonsense in the shade, but never dream she could be author of a play with the grim force of a Pinero or the sureness of a Galsworthy. The ultimate patronizing thing. But it's, um, uh, it, it's, it's as far as I'm concerned, it, it felt a bit more like Ibsen. Uh, than Galsworthy, a sort of howl of irritation at the way a society was. Did, did you get an Ibsen feeling about it? Certainly, I Ibsen, yes, because of course, when was Doll's House done? 1889, I think. So that had reverberated through the, um, through the whole of Europe, really. And I was reading the other day, there were so many different versions of uh, A Doll's House, one done by Ibsen himself, because the German actress uh, uh, refused to leave the house and slam the door, so he rewrote the end. <laughs> um, but uh, it, to me, actually, a bit like Ibsen, but also like Gorky, uh, because it's about a particular class of people trapped in a certain place who are really kind of at each other the mm. whole time, you know, they're but I Ibsen as well, certainly, yeah. yeah. When, when did you first encounter it, read it or see it? I first saw it in 1980, <laughs> uh, which was the first, I think it was the first revival by a group called Mrs. Worthington's Daughters. And I was, uh, <laughs> I, I was working in Manchester and it toured to Manchester and I went to see it. I remember absolutely nothing about it. But uh, I, I did see it then, so I was aware of it. Um, I missed, unfortunately, the revival they did here 25 years ago with the great Bob Peck. Um, but I did see the one that Barry Rutter did a few years ago, which sort of reminded me of the play. And then the possibility of doing it here has been around with me for about two years. So, you know, I've read the play and I've read a, a biography of Gita and Although I waited, I guess, until it all firmed up, because you don't want to do loads of research, and then they say, we're not going to do it, actually. We're doing um, Peter Pan instead, you know. <laughs> and so, so, you, so but you, but you have been into her life and, and how close she was to the material. I mean, one of the, the technical things I love in it is all these discussions about muffle ovens and so yes. on. You sort of think, I, I like that. You know, it's got a, a nice engineering feel that she, she knew well, what a glassworks was all about. Indeed, yes. I mean... Sowerby Glassworks was hugely, hugely successful. Um, and at some stage in the mid to late 19th century, when it was at its height, uh, and they'd industrialized the process by making pressed glass instead of blown glass. And uh, uh, they were sort of challenging the Americans for uh, domination of the market. So it was a huge, huge enterprise, you know. And I think she's used bits of her life, uh, bits of the family and the glassworks. I think she's messed around with the time. Um, I think she's messed around with the geography as well, so that it's never, it, it's never quite clear 
where it is when you read the play because the village of Grantley is near Ripon in North Yorkshire and uh, but they also mention the Tyne and Tyneside and a few other mm. small places that are near the Tyne so I think she she messes around with all that but Sowerby Glassworks were, were, were absolutely massive yeah it, and, and I think my character is based on her grandfather who uh, who was the one who really expanded the work uh, the works who was the one who uh, had trouble with the bank when they when they became a um uh, what is it when you become a comp a company when the, you're incorporated when, or you're a li when you become a limited, yeah, a limited company, company that's right but yeah uh, uh, um so i think my character is largely based on him and john uh young john is sort of based on her father her father who also i read actually in a history of glass making you know invented some pretty good things like in vitro porcelain and stuff like that um but he wanted to do more arts and crafts work uh he set up his own company he wasn't a good businessman uh, he eventually left the company he went bankrupt twice when Gita was six and when she was 27 so uh, and sort of came down south and lived in Essex uh, uh, to become a painter. And so you really, you really have, I mean, that's the great thing. You have this sense of, of change running through it. That, I mean, it's a bit like you have the, you know, the generation one is the, the hardworking guy who becomes the, the old Midlands metal basher or the yeah. old glassworks owner. And then the son wants to be a bit more of a gentleman and a bit of an innovator and a bit of a, a, bit of a figure, yeah. which is what this son wants to be. And the old man said, oh, well, I made my money by, by hard graft and you, you people. It's, I mean, when you looked at that part, when you first looked at that part, did you, uh, is it one to relish for an actor? Oh yes, yeah. absolutely. I mean, he, he, he's fixed on, on what he believes. He's like, uh, you know, there's certain similarities. It's sort of, in a, 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 in a way, it's like King Lear in reverse in that he won't give it up to the children. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but of course, it, it's him that sends his son to Harrow because I think for that uh, um, that uh, in the 19th century to a degree still now um, parents who were ambitious uh, saw their children as an investment you know as part of the family firm and so sending him to Harrow he goes on and on in the play about making a gentleman uh, mm -hmm. of you and setting you up so also wanting him to take over the works whereas of course as i'm sure lots of parents can um, uh, relate to that uh, you, you want your children you want your children to prosper but there's a there's a part of you that wants them to be uh, that wants them to be what you want them to be you know yeah, it's a, it's a it's a difficult kind of you've you've made them you know you make your son a gentleman and suddenly he sees you as the not quite gentleman yeah. you are. I mean, uh, that I, I got that, that sense of, of, a, of trappedness. I mean, that, that's, that's when I, uh, where Ibsen came into my head. Yeah. You know, that fin de siècle sense, oh, everything is trapped. Um, because they're stuck in a world. I mean, the self-made industrial patriarch has, he's drawn his children up market, and this affects the daughter worst of all, um, the elder daughter, because he's marooned them in a world where the village isn't, 
on their side and the gentry don't really speak to them. Yes. And, I mean, she is stuck. I mean, he's, everything is just stuck. You know, you're not, you're not one thing, you're not the other. Yes, I mean, that is, that is exactly what it is in the world of the play. Well, the, I think in the world of life in the industrial 19th century, I mean, in Geeta's family, lots of marriages were made, you know, uh, um, lots of um, uh, uh, sort of investment decision marriages were made um, by the daughters in her family, um, not by her, interestingly. Mm. But, uh, but the, the business of his, his trappedness, I mean, coming to, to you and, and your character and the way you play it, what I found in this production especially, and really strongly, was this vulnerability. You know, that actually Rutherford is the boss, thinks he's the boss, shouts like the boss, does terrific explosions like the boss, but God, he's in, he's in difficulties, isn't he? He's, he he's, he's vulnerable to the changes around him, which he can't do anything about. Absolutely, I mean, and he can't, uh, you know, what gets revealed in the play is that the, um, or is this a spoiler? Too bad. Um, <laughs> What gets revealed in the play is that the glassworks has been failing and losing money for seven years, so he's under a lot of pressure, uh, and a lot of pressure from the bank because of the bank loan, uh, 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 things like that. And, uh, and that, I think, makes the whole edifice feel as if it, it's crumbling, and I think that makes uh, a character more desperate to sort of hold on to it, and mm. because he's, he seems to be the only one who really cares, you know. What, what's that? There's a famous Yorkshire phrase, isn't there? Clogs to clogs in three generations. Yes. Um, it might that, go away again. Yeah, yeah, that's what he wants to avoid. Yeah. I think one of the uh, uh, things that, again, fascinated me in this was the relationship with Martin the foreman. Anyone who hasn't seen Richard Clear, Martin is the foreman, and he's definitely not, you know, not of the boss class. He's, he's from the town. But there's an enormous mutual trust and a sort of dependence between them, and Rutherford's glad that he's the boss, and Martin's glad that he's the follower. And when Martin becomes involved with a, the with a daughter and therefore is betraying, I mean... It's it's a broken bromance that isn't it? Yes, I mean, it it's really the one is. thing that hurts him badly. I've, uh, you 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 did that. I, w I was I was kind of was shielding my eyes. I was thinking this man's going to fall to pieces. I th well, I think again, what gets revealed is that uh, uh, um, Rutherford has seen this man who is now forty when he was uh, fourteen or something like that, and 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 plucked him out. And indeed, you could start working in a glassworks very young. I think Geeta's grandfather started, started working in the glass factory, although it wasn't industrialized then, when he was 12. And there were, there were, a lot of, um, there were a lot, quite a lot of children working in glassworks, doing very specific tasks. Um, so what's happened is that this kind of surrogate son in a way, uh, who, who he does in a different way raise up, but raise up through the, mm. through the firm, not through getting an education or, as the other son is, becoming a curate, although I, 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 think, the, I think that's, yes, the I think that's my dead wife's fault. The, the wet curate is fault, very entertaining, that, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> but the, I mean, the, the, the relationship with, with Martin, the foreman, is quite painful to watch because it is a closeness it's a mutual yeah. trust but it's uneven it's Absolutely, one of those friendships yeah. as it were not a friendship it's a relationship i mean martin loves to refer to himself as a servant yes he's a servant of rutherford and rutherford sees him as that yeah. servant and so when the apparent betrayal 
though why he should fall for the daughter should be a betrayal is uh, we have to understand the class to see why i mean you you kind of you're up and roaming around the stage in, in considerable distress and then eventually doing we won't spoil it a bad thing to martin yes. it, um, you're, you're but broken it's sort of the that. worst thing that yeah. could happen really that the one person who is loyal and who's seen me through absolutely everything and who cares as much about the firm as me. I mean, it reminds me of lots of military relationships, um, you know, um, and also, I mean, a bit in a way, like in Endeavour, my relationship with, um, with Bright, you know, Anton Lesser's character, which is very much a kind of non-commissioned officer's um, care and anxiety about the senior officer perhaps going a bit loopy or not being able <laughs> to manage things properly but real real concern yeah. i think you know but what's uh, what's so wonderful about about the way that the whole world of the drama draws you in and you start to understand and feel all these people that actually it's not the worst thing that could possibly happen is the young man you've known all his life and who's almost like a son to you falling for your daughter that ought to be a really grand thing oughtn't it but because of the class structure it's, it's because it of the class be. it's also because it, you, my character's grandfather as mrs henderson says your grandfather was a potman like me which is a it's an important role in uh, in glass making very important but it's um you know, it's definitely of the proletariat. Uh, and it's definitely, you know, it's, it's totally different to being the, the boss of the, of the factory. And all that striving upwards is getting away from being uh, mm. a potman. So that's the thing that destroys, I guess, the, what, what could have been a really, yeah. could have been really fruitful. Martin, Martin could have taken over the yeah. He knows more about it than anyone else. Yeah, it would have been terrific. You yeah. wouldn't forget the hopeless son. Um, but, of course, he has this fear of being gossiped about. That, yeah, respectability. That comes up very clear, clearly that yeah. uh, people will laugh at his daughter yeah. uh, going around with, with, with young Martin and so on. Did you, did you sort of sit down and think? I mean, you've obviously you've thought about the family, you've thought about the real Sabi family and so on. Uh, did you brood a bit on the backstory? Because there's this quite brief reference to the wife yes the dead wife who spoiled the boy with poetry and yes. you know caused the other one to be a curate of all things um uh, did you think about her what must she have been like did he perhaps marry a bit above himself i think so yes we thought we thought he probably a did schoolmistress or something uh, well no 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 because yeah. his, his his father would have been a factory owner as well yeah so he might have married just up into the gentry a bit more a lady into the lower gentry perhaps yes. and um but there's also I it's also i think uh, uh, young john says at one point that he doesn't that my character doesn't like women and it's a very very male world and the suspicion of women is that they make the world soft mm. and there's a lot of use of the word soft and softness and you, you can't be that because, and there's a lot of discussion in the play about what, you know, what should life be? And p different characters re represent different ideas about that. And my character very obviously uh, um, represents the idea that life is work. That is what life is. We're put on here to work and to improve ourselves. That is what life is. And other, you know, my, my daughter, Janet, she, 
for her, there's the possibility of just being happy in an ordinary way. Mm. Having a child, being happy, seeing a man come home from work, doing your work, you know, but, but, but work and improving necessary sort of cl cl uh, clambering up ever upwards isn't necessarily the thing. And obviously for Richard, the curate, um, life is about being religious and holy and sort of decent, weak, but decent. Tremendous line of yours, that there's, there's no shortage of ways to shirk and religion is as good as any. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. Um, it is, quite often we get in, um, we get in theatre, we get a credit in the programme for a movement director. Yeah. And sometimes that's very much obvious because it's very much a movement thing. Uh, is there a movement director credit in this? I can't remember. Yes, Polly Bennett. Yeah, Yeah, because Polly Finn is a, the, the director. And, uh, and I was very interested in the way you moved um, because obviously having s when you've seen an actor in lots of different things, you know, you sort of, it's one of the things you notice how they're moving. What, what sort of direction did you get and what did you, what did you talk through with her? Also long ago now. <laughs> um, I, I think what, what, what was particularly examined through her lens was what was going on between people. There's a big build-up the, in the, at the beginning of the play to the entrance of my character, um, who's the patriarch. And so everyone else's relationship to that, when I come on, one of those men who expect everything to be absolutely, you know, correct for his arrival. Um, so we examined that a lot. Um, but how I moved, you know, I can't remember. Well, I'll tell you one thing I, I wrote in a review. I said that what's really eloquent is his stillness, sitting four square, so secure in pitiless authority that shouting is redundant because folk will do what he wants. Yes, I mean, we You've certainly got did. you moments of terrific solidity there. We certainly did talk about like stillness. A rock, yeah. Uh, uh, and that actually it, it was as... It, that a big gesture might just be looking at someone. It was, yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> destroying someone with a death stare. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but then, of course, when the moment comes that, that Martin seems to have betrayed you in, in your terms, you were up and moving around the States that suddenly, that it, was, it was a huge and very notable change. Oh, good. Um, I'm glad. Yeah. Why don't you never say these things? I've, I've been told you shouldn't. Um, it's near the end of the run now, but you should never say these things to actors because it causes them to do it worse <laughs> and faster the next time. But that's mainly with, with comedy. But with this, I just sort of thought he suddenly is restless. I love that moment. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I think because the, yes, the experience of feeling is, um, is often very physical, I think, really, you know the first experience of it. You'd, and this is a very unfamiliar feeling to him, that feeling of betrayal, I guess, by the person he loves. And of course he gets another one at the end, again, no spoilers, but there is a, a certain worm that turns in the yes. corner over there. Um, and that's something else that Rutherford has to, I mean, that's why it's such a great part, isn't it? Rutherford oh, has yeah. to deal with I that know, as I well. I think that's why it's a great play as well, yeah. because it just takes, Lots and lots of unexpected turns. You really don't know um, 
uh, how it's going to turn out or what's going to happen next, and uh, I love that about it. Mm. Yeah. Tell me, you're you're a uh, you're a modern man because you're an actor, and all actors to some extent have liberal bones, and and your your director is a woman. And there are many. How how difficult is it for you in this and maybe in other parts and television parts, maybe Inspector Thursday as well, getting into past types, getting into types that you are not and that in your life you could not actually really get away with being, and then finding a humanity in it, finding yourself in there somewhere. Is, is that an, an entertaining, interesting thing? Well, that's one, of the in, uh, that's, mm. that's one of the very, very interesting tasks. And of course, you know, in lots of ways, uh, my character in this play thinks he's absolutely right, and it's, you know, that his way is the right way. And his tragedy is that he can't see outside that, and if he just shifted and had a bit more flexibility, life might be a bit better, uh, both for those around him and for himself. But he's completely fixed. Um, and so I guess what you have to do is turn feelings of, empathy I I inward, I suppose, so that it's you that's being betrayed by other people. It's you that's being uh, uh, absolutely let down by your family, for whom you think, you, he, he's constantly saying, I work for you, you know. Mm. He says to Janet, I work for you, I, uh, I'm your father, I work, I, work for the, uh, uh, I work for you, I give you clothes and food for your back, I've got a right to be obeyed. Now, to a degree, he works for her, I suppose, because it's a good thing for him to have a family. You know, that's the proper thing. But uh, as young John says, uh, at some stage, when I'm not on stage, he enjoys it. I work for me as well. You know, I work because that's what I do. That's what I love. That's what I want. Uh, and I've often said about acting, actually, that it's a, it's a great deal easier than life. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's much easier than it, 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 it's not such hard work as being at home for instance and looking after children it's a strange kind of fun yeah. you know playing, playing awful characters I, on this very stage 20 years ago or so I played uh, Hitler it was I hope you don't take this wrong, uh, uh, wrongly, but it, it, was, it, it was such fun in a really peculiar way playing <laughs> Hitler because it's someone, you're playing someone who's released precisely from what you're saying, from modern sensibilities and uh, liberal, perhaps, ways of behaviour and beliefs. You're, it, it's, it, it, I guess it's like being, playing Richard III as well. Or, or Simon know. Russell Beale as Stalin. Yes, he absolutely. Had a you know. And the, or, the audience becomes complicit with that because we all enjoy seeing a character, especially if, if that character like Richard III does, assumes that everyone else in the audience is another Richard III or an extension of him. Um, there's a mutual enjoyment, I think, on, on your part and on our part as actors in playing those kinds of roles. But at the same time, because it's, because it's, it's a full play, it's a whole play rather than, than a comedy where one can really kind of go to hell with that, um, you have to find how it hurts, how it would be to be Hitler, how it would be to be 
Richard III even, that's harder, uh, how it is to be Rutherford, and for it to hurt. You know, I mean, that's, 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 the, that's the real, that's the trick, isn't it? Yes. You know, to be quite appalling in most obvious ways, and yet at the same time, sort of wounded. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, we see that. Uh, we see that at pe people, you know, you only have to open a newspaper and you think, oh, for goodness sake, you know. <laughs> I think there are plenty of, yes. plenty of fathers across the country, actually, you know, high achieving fathers who people will have sort of recognized in aspects of, of Rutherford. I mean, yeah. they're not quite gone. And absolutely. Do you take but it home it with you at all? Do you, do you boss people around when you get home after the show? You'd they're all asleep by then, you know. I've, <laughs> <coughs> I've been working for them, you know. It's not nothing to do. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> a woman, <laughs> my breakfast. <laughs> yeah. Um, again, thinking about getting into getting into characters. Um, uh, you mentioned Thursday yourself. Um, somebody said to me, "You're just going to go on that stage and go on and on and on about Endeavour, aren't you?" And I said, "No, I am not. I'm really interested in Rutherford." Um, but Inspector Thursday. Are we at Endeavour? Have we some Endeavour watches here? Yes. Well, you see, um, he's he's become a bit of a kingpin of of, uh, of the whole thing. You know, poor young detective is left aside. Um, how was that getting into getting into a, a 1950s and 60s tough policeman, the kind who uh, who gets his gets a lot of his evidence and confessions by punching people or threatening to punch people? Um, did, you, did you find that a curious process, thinking your way into him? Because you're not of a generation to remember those policemen, really. Yes, I am. Only just. Alas. Um, not, you're my age. Not, not, not those policemen, but yeah. uh, absolutely. He's, he would have been born when my father or my uncle, Fred, uh, would have been born around 1914-15. So I remember that generation of my family very, very well, you know. So all kinds of attitudes, of objects, of ways of being, because Fred Thursday also does the washing up, mm. um, you know, uh, sometimes. Um, and uh, so I, I've, I very much used that generation of my family uh, who, in their own way, had sort of worked up from their parents you know, my father's mother was a servant. Uh, his father, after the First War, when he was gassed, sort of worked outside, just sort of doing building jobs, mm. painting and stuff like that. My maternal grandfather was a stonemason. So I remember that kind of stoical um, working class strand of my family, and then also the, my father's generation, that moved, my father who became a vicar, um, whose youngest uh, sister, uh, also of him and his brother Fred, was Winifred. Mm. I mean, it's, yeah. it's pe pe yeah. peculiar. Yeah. I didn't, <laughs> you know, I didn't tell Russell any of that when he started writing it. Um, so I, I related in generational terms like that. Mm. But in, in terms of the violence, I mean, that's just available to everyone, isn't it? <laughs> that's just another kind of f fun, in a way. And vi violent feelings, I think, uh, you know, you'd, you, again, once you think about and read about uh, people's experience in war, uh, Fred Thursday... Um, fought in the, uh, North Africa in the Italian campaign and the, bon uh, the Battle of Monte Cassino. 
and uh, reading about that, the mud, for instance, it was a disastrous mm. campaign. The mud was worse than anything yeah. in the First mm. World War. Um, and if you think about what it does to you about standing next to someone who's your comrade and your friend and suddenly their head is blown apart and stuff like that, you just have to find ways to uh, access that, to remember that, and then uh, either put it aside or it goes into something else, like some punching someone in the face. But it seems <laughs> to me that uh, one of the things which I get greatly out of theatre and indeed sometimes out of, out of novels of the past, I read a lot of 20s, 30s, 40s novels, oh, yeah. um, is, is the sense of being able to think and feel as people thought and felt in another society. And we've got a terrific move now in some parts of, of theatre to update, to upgrade, to say it's all happening now or it's all happening or in the future on the moon or whatever. And a certain young director who I am not going to name said something in an interview that really upset me when he said, oh, well, I can't know, I never will costume anything. The moment I see anyone in period costume, I know it's not about me. Uh, and I thought, hang on, that's the whole point. It's meant to be about I find that a else. very, very bizarre statement. I yeah. mean, because, you know, I mean, sometimes updating can really, really work. You know, I, I, I don't want to be restrictive about that. The proof is always in the pudding. When you see it, if it works, it's good. And if it doesn't, it's annoying uh, and bad. <laughs> <coughs> but uh, I think it's equally fascinating to make an effort on the part of us as a creative team as we do in Rutherford to go to honour the period of the play and for us as an audience to see that and make an effort to go back and think oh yes they are like us but then of course they're absolutely like us but then of course they're different because things were different yes uh, certain you know aspects of their life were very different to ours like in in Endeavour for instance no one has a mobile phone because people yeah. didn't so Mm. Uh, but even to, to allow in some place to allow language which is completely impermissible now you know sometimes to see it done on the stage is great because you think yeah actually people did talk that way you know? yeah. the fact that we've learned not to talk that way about race or yeah, whatever yeah. else yeah. is quite exciting um, do the costumes help I mean oh, I'm always, to think always. Of well, yeah, what, most of the time what items <laughs> does Rutherford get into which, which make you think ah oh, that's me again well the the the, a frock, the frock coat, the, oh, so sweltering as well. I have an overcoat, a frock coat, uh, a waistcoat. Oh, so many coats, a scarf, a hat, gloves. Because there's so much in the play about how freezing cold it is. <laughs> but uh, uh, all the time when you get, when you, when you, you know, putting on the clothes, slightly changing your appearance, um, are, are, are sort of little wormholes in time and space <laughs> mm. <laughs> as a way back to the character, yeah. I, ca I guess. Yes, I can imagine climbing back into a character. I mean, another, another character of yours who... Uh, is anybody a thick of it? Thick of, I, we, we were thick of it addicts for quite a while. Peter Mannion, we felt very strongly about the poor minister, <laughs> oh, Peter yes. Mannion, who was being made to go to um, sort of touchy-feely, oh, yes, yes. touchy-feely <laughs> events and so yeah. on. I mean, that, that's, that's a very wonderful modern one to get into, isn't it? It's, it's yes, just to be more of a harumpher than you would ever would be in real life. Yeah, uh, that was glorious, but also it was extreme. The, the process of making it was very, very playful because... Um, 
we always had a very good script to, to start with. Uh, we'd meet and read it. Then the writers and Armando would go away for a bit and then come back and say, could you improvise a little bit? That scene there, could you just extend it and see what happens? And so improvisation was encouraged. And th but then the writers would go away after having seen those improvisations and write a, a another draft. And we'd come back and then we'd start filming it. And the script was always uh, far, far too long. But that was kind of ac accepted, really. Um, and and then when we were filming it, there was none of that thing that you generally get in filming where, you know, if we were being filmed, there'd be a camera out there and you'd see a long shot of us, then they, it would come closer in and then you'd see a two shot of us and then we'd both have our singles and maybe, you know, real big close-ups as well. And then you'd be saying, you did that with your thumb when I was saying you did that with your thumb and you'd have to repeat that for every shot in yeah. which your thumb could be seen. There was none of that on the thick of it, you know. It, it was much, much looser. They had two cameras constantly on the move, catching us do stuff. And then Armando might say, could you just um, try extending that, that moment there? Could you just make it bigger maybe or extend it a bit, see what happens? And so things like that would happen and sometimes those bits made it into the final cut but he told me that all, all the time uh, when they when they looked at the first cut of the film it was all the time twice as long as they needed and i think that was possibly conscious because then they cut it and cut it and cut it and cut it until it was five minutes shorter uh, than than it had to be in the end and then they could put back their favourite five minutes. Mm. And that was, <laughs> that was sort of the process. But it was like kind of playing. Uh, and you, you know, what I'm describing is kind of making things up on the hoof. But that's a bit like life, you know. But it's you good, it's good <laughs> that as, a, as an actor, you are as happy with a classic, you know, word for word, or, or with Shakespeare, as you are with playing around an improvisation. Not all actors take to the latter kind, do they? Some of them... I mean, I, I know some who say they feel insecure unless there is a, a script. Well, a script start. certainly does give you security, but then, you know, there, there was such a kind of, as I say, playful and fun kind of atmosphere that it made that allowable. And I, I, I guess that's what gave you your security to make an ass of yourself if things well, didn't work. Of course, you work, get, you you get that at the Globe as well, don't you? I mean, because yes. you, you've done the Globe. You were one of the great Globe Falstaffs. Did you, did you mess about with that? I'm trying to remember. Did you um, depart from the Bard? I, I, I did a sort of strange Sergeant Bilko entrance. Uh, <laughs> 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 always, always desirable. <laughs> you know, one of those. Yeah. <laughs> so do you... Uh, is, is there a part of your acting life that you, that you value above others? Or do you really like roaming around? As no, well as I I, variety is what mm. I value above probably anything else. Because um, that's why I was you know, deeply suspicious of going into what has proven to be a long-running series. You know, and when they said, we'd like you to sign for three years right at the beginning, I said, I can't, I can't do that, I can't. I'll only sign for two. And so subsequently, it's always just been series by series. 
But uh, Inspector Thursday that. has kind of sucked you in, hasn't he now? Yes, but it, yeah. but but the the nice the nice thing about it is that it, you know it provides more financial security for working for my family. You see, <laughs> again, uh, than uh, certainly working at the Globe does. And uh, but the, unlike uh, unlike an American series, you know. It, it doesn't take up your whole life, uh, so I have time uh, and space to do something like, like Rutherford at the National Law. Well, it's you know. a, you're a cult in America, actually. You do know that Endeavour is a cult in America. Ah, there, I, I have American friends out <laughs> there, uh, and one of them, one of my American relatives, wrote a thing to me saying, um, saying, uh, I just love Endeavour. I mean, uh, your police are so civilised. <laughs> uh, and I said, this, this was quite a while ago, you know, and, and Inspector Thursday is still punching people. Said, yeah, yeah, but it's always, he's always just so great about it. <laughs> so, so that's you, there you are, you see. You can now go into a lecture tour, you know, punching people. Yes, <laughs> and, and being great about it. Right. Uh, we have to stop on time. Roger Allen, what a star. Thank, Thank you very much. Thank you.